waiting on a winner. When the count is finished, we believe we will be the winners. Why the U.S. presidential election is still undecided. The dance community caught up in a super spreader event. Fraser Hell should have been notifying people the minute they knew. Would quicker contact tracing have prevented it? And a Hollywood makeover. This is a triumph. Squire gets an exclusive look at how Kitsilano's iconic theater is being reborn. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. There are still hundreds of thousands of votes left to be counted and the outcome of the U.S. presidential race hinges on a handful of still uncalled battleground states. Democrat challenger Joe Biden seems to be in a good position to win, but President Donald Trump is already using the courts to stop ballots from being counted. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. With the race so close, the protests were sure to follow. In Michigan, people demanded officials stop counting votes. In Philadelphia, people took to the streets, calling to protect the results. A day after the polls closed, there is still no winner in the U.S. election. The numbers now favor Joe Biden, flipping Michigan and Wisconsin. The Democrats just shy of retaking the White House. Now, after a long night of counting, it's clear that we're winning enough states to reach 270 electoral votes needed to win the presidency. According to political observers, the divide in the U.S. has never been greater. Democrats really hate and fear Republicans, and Republicans really hate and fear Democrats. And that's been going on for a long time. But in this election, with the pandemic and the economy in trouble, uh, I think it's really been intensified. While the Biden camp is making promises if things break their way, the Republicans actively sowing distrust in the results. Tuesday night calling into question the totals in the Rust Belt and in the Sun Belt. Wednesday, launching legal action before all the votes are counted. We're going to win Pennsylvania, but they're trying to cheat us out of it because they know it's their only path to victory. For Canadians watching the election, a Democratic White House seems like the more stable option. Mr. Biden would uh, take more aggressive action to deal with a pandemic. It's something that uh, uh, President Trump really has uh, not... uh, done. Final results won't be known until later this week. But if the courts get involved, who occupies the Oval Office might not be known for months. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Global's Reggie Cicchini has been covering this live for us in Washington, D.C., and he joins us now, Reggie, with a look at the closest races and what's happening right now. Chris, good evening. The closest races right now could be the ones that ultimately make the decision just a few hours from now. Tomorrow morning, local time, Nevada is going to unveil its results, and it is a six electoral college vote state. Joe Biden right now needs six electoral college votes in order to become president-elect. So this could be uh, a squeaker of a vote right now. Uh, it is uh, within the margins. It's just a point separating the two in that state. But again, it leans towards Joe Biden. There are other states across the country that we are watching actively in Atlanta, in Georgia. Uh, the state right now is 49-8. 
Donald Trump, 49 Joe Biden. Again, it is a handful of votes that are separating the two. And this is because in the Atlanta area, there was a burst pipe that prevented them from being able to count the provisional ballots that were sent in. That is part of the delay. We know that these ballots come from the suburban parts of Atlanta. It is highly democratic in that region. It's likely that the needle could tip towards Joe Biden, again, keeping Georgia in play. Pennsylvania obviously is the biggest pot right now that the candidates are trying to go after. And the numbers have been slowly creeping inwards over the last couple of hours. Right now, separated by only about less than 200,000 points, 51% Donald Trump, 47.9% Joe Biden. This is one of those states, as you heard Aaron mention, uh, that the Trump campaign has actively tried to go after them with a lawsuit to stop the provisional uh, ballot counting in that state, along with Michigan and in Nevada. This is kind of a last-ditch effort by the Trump campaign to try and get the uh, results to move in his favor. We should also point out he has asked for a recount in Wisconsin. Amazing stuff. Thanks very much. Reggie Cicchini reporting live in Washington, D.C. tonight. Thanks, Reggie. Now, fears of civil unrest in Portland, Oregon last night, thankfully, didn't materialize. But concerns about the lingering potential for chaos have prompted an extension of the state of emergency there. Our Sarah McDonald is live in Portland for us tonight. And Sarah, uh, it's going to be in place until at least Friday. That's right, Sophie, and it's looking like it's going to be a long night tonight. As you mentioned, concerns last night turned out to be unfounded, but take a look at what we're looking at right now. So that demonstration that we were at earlier in the 5 o'clock show for our viewers, the Black Lives Matter demonstration, has now been intercepted by this demonstration behind me, which has a much more extreme attitude to it. You can see the people here are covered in face masks. They're wearing largely black. Uh, the chants and the slogans uh, are much different uh, from the Black Lives Matter protest that we were at earlier, where they were saying, count every vote, count every vote, no justice, no peace. This group, uh, it's much more anti-police sentiment. Uh, some people here are saying, we don't want Joe Biden, we want revenge. And this is the concerns uh, that experts and analysts have had when it comes to the outcome of this election. Everybody watching the outcome of the presidential vote, we, took, uh, we spoke with uh, an expert on extremism who says, actually right now the conditions are completely rife for civil unrest because as we've seen, President Donald Trump is sort of meddling in affairs and he's throwing into question the democratic process. Uh, and that has some far-right Republicans, perhaps, thinking that Trump has won the election, as he's led them to believe. And if, in fact, that turns out not to be the case, we're going to have a lot of unhappy people on the far right. And we already have a lot of unhappy people on the far left. So take a listen to what one expert told us. They're certainly talking about it and they are predicting violence. They're predicting that Trump will win by a landslide and that the left won't accept it and that the left will riot. And so they will have to show up as sort of like knights in shining armor. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't have uh, any kind of uh, intelligence that there's going to be mass anything. So that was the district attorney who's come out strong with a preemptive strike saying we won't be tolerating any violence, we won't be tolerating any destruction. Uh, but guys, we'll be watching here what happens tonight. Uh, already hundreds of people in the streets here. No police in sight at this point. Uh, once again, the chants here are very anti-police. A lot of people masked up in face masks. That other Black Lives Matter movement has just joined this other group. So we'll see what happens tonight. As you mentioned, Sophie, the National Guard is still on standby. The state of emergency in the state of Oregon has been extended until Friday, at least at this point, for exactly this scenario, if things are to turn violent tonight. Back to you guys. All right. Well, you guys stay safe, Sarah, and keep us updated. Sarah McDonald in Portland, Oregon for us.
Voters in Oregon made history Tuesday night as well as supporting a proposition that would decriminalize small amounts of heroin and other street drugs. Measure 110, as it's known, was passed with 59% support and even had backing in Republican strongholds. Under the measure, misdemeanor drug possession will be reduced to a non-criminal violation on par with a traffic offense. And people caught with small amounts of heroin, cocaine, meth and other drugs will face a $100 fine or have the option of being screened for a substance abuse disorder. The new rules will also funnel millions in marijuana tax revenue toward the creation of addiction recovery centers. Well, mail-in ballots are playing a huge part this time around in the election outcomes south of the border. And let's not forget here in B.C. as well. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now for a closer look at this phenomenon. Keith, first, how is this going to help determine the U.S. presidential election? Well, it's going to determine it because so many ballots have yet to be counted because they're absentee ballots or they're mail-in ballots, so the total of which we've never seen the likes of this before. More, about 90 million people opted to vote by mail. Most of them are likely to be Democrats, and it's going to affect a number of writings. Some of these have been called, but some of them remain up in the air in terms of the final outcome. Have a look at this. First of all, Pennsylvania, very much the top uh, state up for grabs, was still 20 electoral votes undetermined. We're talking millions of uh, voters there. Michigan, Donald Trump claims he's won there. Uh, uh, that has been called by other state uh, stations as going Democrat. Georgia, very much up in the air. Wisconsin with 10. And Nevada will be counted tomorrow. Georgia is a good example of what's happening with mail-in and other types of ballots not being counted in regular fashion. Last night at midnight, 327,000 was the lead for, for Donald Trump. But right now, just a few minutes ago, that had shrunk to less than 40,000 as a combination of those votes you heard Reggie talk about from the verse pipe, but also mail-ins coming in. They're flooding these states right now. And a little flipping them largely in favor of the Democrats. That's why Pennsylvania, big gap last night, that gap has shrunk as more mail-in ballots are counted. It's uh, very favorable to the Democrats. But again, those races mm -hmm. have yet to be decided. And again, let's not forget there is a lot of counting to be done right here in B.C. Yep. as well. Officials are about to start counting mail-in ballots. What could the impact uh, be here? Again, substantive. Won't determine the outcome of the election. The NDP has a safe majority. But starting Friday, more than 663 ballots, uh, most of them mail-in ballots, some of them absentee ballots, will start to be counted. And the number of them in some of the writings decided by very short, small outcomes uh, could be uh, decisive and could flip some of the writings. So take a look at these ones. First of all, heading the list in terms of close races, uh, Abbotsford Mission currently held by the Liberals by 168 votes. But look at how many mail-in ballots there are, 7,300 plus. Vernon held by the Liberals now by a small margin. More than 8,500 votes to be counted there. Chilliwack, Kent, that may flip to Laurie Throness. So you remember the long-term uh, Liberal MLA uh, who was booted out of the caucus. Langara and sorry, White Rock held by the Liberals. Richmond Hill Centre held by the NDP. So those are the writings in play. Potentially, we should know the results hopefully Sunday night. All right, Keith, thanks very much. Now, as Keith mentioned, there are still several B.C. ridings too close to call. Currently, fewer than 1,000 votes separating first and second place in 16 different ridings. And as Richard Zussman reports, there is still a lot riding on those results. It was weeks of putting up signs, knocking on doors, looking for votes. Now, waiting. In the end, the speculation is fruitless because all the decisions have been made. All the ballots are sitting in boxes. Uh, your fate has been sealed by the voter, and it, you just have to wait to find out. On Friday, Elections BC will start counting hundreds of thousands of absentee and mail-in ballots. One of the most interesting races is Chilliwack-Kent, where incumbent Lori Thronis trails by 195 votes, 
with 7,325 ballots left to be counted. Dornis resigned as a Liberal in the midst of the campaign due to a controversial comment comparing free birth control to eugenics, but it happened after many mail-in ballots had been sent in. Well, that could have affected voters, yes. Uh, whether it will affect mail-in voters, I don't know, because most mail-in ballots would have been cast before that point. There are 662,236 votes to be counted still, and they will be counted on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We have had unprecedented numbers of mail-in ballots this election, uh, but we are hoping to complete the final count uh, within three days. As for the result of the election, it's not expected to change, but the NDP are hopeful will increase their current count to 55 seats, including in Abbotsford Mission, where Pam Alexis trails by 188 votes, with more than 7,000 left to count. I am um, cautiously optimistic. I've had tremendous number of um, messages and, and people reaching out to say, I voted by mail. The other factor is cabinet. Alexis, the current mayor of Mission, could be someone Horgan is looking to add to his decision-making team, but only if those votes yet to be counted go her way. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, time to get an update on the COVID-19 situation in B.C. We have 335 new cases, which brings B.C.'s total to 16,135. There's one more death, so we've now lost 273 people to the virus. 92 people are in hospital, 25 patients in the ICU. 12,659 are considered recovered, leaving us with 3,120 active cases and 7,133 in isolation. Well, a cluster of more than three dozen COVID-19 cases, including two new cases today that are centered around a Chilliwack dance studio, is now being classified as a super spreader outbreak. And now questions are being asked about why it took Fraser Health several days to start the process of contact tracing and notification after the first positive test. Grace Key reports. Capella Dance Academy in Abbotsford is being called a COVID super spreader. Now questions are being raised as to how quickly Fraser Health responded after the first positive case. One mother who wants to remain anonymous has a daughter who tested positive. Fraser Health should have been notifying people the minute they knew that Sarah had tested positive. And she ran a business that had 320 kids in attendance. Owner Sarah Wood provided a timeline of events. On October 23, she's ill, gets a COVID test. Three days pass, so she calls. She's positive. Wait to hear from contact tracers. Not necessary to shut down the studio. Next day, still no direction from Fraser Health. Owner voluntarily shuts down studio, notifies parents on her own, prompting many to keep kids home and get tested. Three days after testing positive, it's the first contact with Fraser Health. She's given a letter to forward only to families who may have been exposed. She sends it to the entire studio. Six days after the owner tests positive, 11 schools are notified of a possible COVID exposure. The next day, the owner says Fraser Health is overwhelmed with BC COVID numbers. She hands over a complete class list. On Tuesday, it's declared a super spreader. 36 positive cases, 13 schools exposed, but no transmissions. If we hadn't heard from the owner on her own accord on the Tuesday night that she had tested positive, 
the rest of us would have continued to send our kids to school. Fraser Health won't comment on any particular case, but says all timelines were met. The timelines for contact tracing really depend very much on the individual case and the circumstances how difficult it is to um, to reach them or to work with them and how difficult it is to find and reach their contacts. But no, for the most part, we are continuing to meet our timelines. All individuals associated with the outbreak have been identified and are isolating as well as their close contacts. Grace Key, Global News. Well, Vancouver didn't get the windfall it was expecting. Mayor Kennedy Stewart accuses Premier John Horgan of breaking a promise that's going to leave his city scrambling to pay for things. That story in just over a minute. Testimony from the Cullen Commission about the shady transactions of BC's biggest gambler later on the news hour. And we'll pull back the curtain on the renovation of Vancouver's iconic Hollywood theater. Squire Barnes gets the first tour of the glamorous new entertainment space coming up. Right now, though, another budget blow is going to make balancing the books so much harder for Vancouver City Council. A federally funded injection of cash is set to be significantly less than hoped. And as Nadia Stewart reports, the mayor is now calling out the province. It is not the news Vancouver City Councillors were expecting. During their Wednesday morning virtual council meeting, Mayor Kennedy Stewart dropped a bombshell. They will not be receiving as much post-pandemic recovery money from the province as they were expecting. Last night, I was informed, and you've been informed this morning, uh, that Vancouver received well below our per capita funding. Uh, $16 million, uh, where we're expecting up to 60. So I am communicating my great displeasure with the uh, provincial government today. This comes as the city enters a tough round of budget talks. And I think most of us are, are keen to see us keep our actual tax increase this year at no more than 5%. Councillor Pete Fry says they have to make tough decisions around what to keep and what to cut. Council is desperately trying to avoid increasing taxes by as much as 12%. It's why today's news has them reeling. Mental health and addictions... Uh, housing and homelessness. These are all provincial responsibilities that unfortunately big cities end up holding the bag on a lot of. So that news this morning came as a massive blow, I think, and we're all reeling at council. The money cities were expecting comes through a federal safe restart agreement funneled through the province. In a statement, Mayor Kennedy Stewart says, disappointingly, Premier Horgan didn't distribute federal funding on a per capita basis as outlined in the agreement. But in an email, Municipal Affairs Minister Selena Robinson says the money was designed to help communities both big and small, but a higher per capita level of funding to smaller and mid-sized communities. One expert says this might only be the beginning of tensions between some cities and the province. This is perhaps the winter of discontent for municipalities throughout the province in terms of how they are going to deal with funding some core, some core services. And if Mayor Stewart's comments at Wednesday's meeting are any indication... I'm really pretty gobsmacked about getting shafted over this. It could be a rather turbulent winter of discontent. Nadia Stewart, Global News. A new proposal is being considered to provide Victoria's unsheltered population with free bus tickets. As Kylie Stanton reports, the councillors behind the motion say the idea could help the city's homeless better connect with essential services. Closing up the tent and packing up belongings. It's all part of living in these park encampments where Clay Raymond calls home. All in all, uh, four years. But the pandemic has made things even more challenging. 
restricting services this population so desperately relies on. Having to sort of acclimatize to the new schedules at like our place and the other places around town. To help ease the burden, councillors are tabling a motion Thursday asking the city of Victoria to invest in free bus tickets for the homeless population. How it works is that the city would buy a transit fare and then provide it to distributors, people already working with people sheltering outdoors, uh, for free. The program already exists through the Community Social Planning Council to help low-income residents access transit. The tickets are matched on a one-to-one -one basis with the Victoria Regional Transit Commission. There are roughly 250 homeless people living in Victoria. To provide everyone with a free bus pass could cost as much as $10,625 a month. But individual tickets are expected to be much cheaper, just a little more than $2,800 a month. That comes down to $11.25 per person, something many passengers are happy to get on board with. That's really cheap. Behind it, 100%. It's a handy service to have. And I think everyone should be able to use it. Currently, the most popular parks for those living outdoors do not have any showers or warm shelter of any kind. The bus tickets could go a long way in connecting them to the downtown core, especially heading into the winter months. I'm happy to see any momentum that provides further access and is responsive to what people are asking for. There needs to be further solutions and more access, but this is a, a stopgap measure to support people in the meantime. Raymond sees it as an opportunity, opening doors to possibly find work and then maybe even housing. You're going to go rusted, you're going to be clean, you're going to be feel uh, accomplished. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, airline passengers reach out to consumer matters. They cancel the trip. With no help from the carrier, what happened when Global News got involved? Also tonight, hundreds of people make the wrong call during a major power outage. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight. Do keep in mind, though, that overnight maintenance causes delays in both directions from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trishti Wisson in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. With WestJet's recent announcement that it would be providing refunds for flights cancelled due to the pandemic, many travellers are now asking if other airlines will be doing the same. Our Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here now with a story about a couple who booked a family trip with Sunwing Vacations and a trip they never ended up taking. Yeah, that's right. Tony and Donna Smith booked a family trip with Sunwing Vacations to celebrate a major milestone. Not only was the trip canceled due to COVID-19, but a sudden and unexpected health issue means they'll likely be unable to vacation as a group again. Like so many others, they've been left with the offer of vouchers and nowhere else to turn. It was supposed to be a vacation of a lifetime, a trip to Cuba with 11 family members to celebrate Tony and Donna Smith's 50th wedding anniversary. We just thought it would be a good memory for everybody to have before everybody's out doing so many other things as they get older, right? And, um, well, it backfired. This past January, the Langley couple booked a family trip with Sunwing Vacations. The group of 11 were scheduled to depart from Vancouver to Cuba in March, but Sunwing cancelled their trip due to COVID-19. 
They canceled the trip on the 17th of March, and we were to leave on the 18th. The Smiths say at first Sunwing offered them a refund. Initially, we were led to believe that Sunwing would give us a full refund, a full cash refund. However, after a couple of days, that was changed, and they're only offering vouchers. They had trip cancellation insurance, but say their claim was denied on the basis they had been offered vouchers. And as they waited to hear from their insurer, they say their credit card company told them the time frame to seek a refund through a chargeback had come and gone. The Smiths were out over $16,000. Making matters worse, their son-in-law has since suffered a cardiac arrest and multiple organ failure due to flesh-eating disease and remains in hospital. Donna and Tony say a refund is needed to help their daughter financially. Still, Sunwing won't budge. But they refuse to move from their policy of vouchers only. Consumer Matters reached out to Sunwing and received the following statement. We agree to offer them a name change or the option of transferring the credit to another customer with a two-year validity period in recognition that health matters would prevent them from traveling for the foreseeable future. But air passenger rights advocates argue Sunwing is breaking BC consumer protection law. The law has been and remains that when a supplier, a vendor, fails to deliver the services they have been contracted for, then they have to issue a full refund to the original form of payment. They may not like it, but this is the law. Consumer Matters also reached out to the Smith's credit card issuer, TD Bank, about the family situation and were told, we have reviewed the details of their unique situation and agree with their position that the airline should compensate them for their loss. We will support their dispute and submission of a chargeback request with Sunwing. For now... All the Smiths can do is wait. It's not fair to be treated that way. TD Bank also told us if a resolution is unsuccessful in terms of getting a refund with their travel provider, TD cardholders have the right to submit a chargeback request, but they should be aware that it does not guarantee they will receive a refund. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, let's hope they get some satisfaction. Thanks, Anne. Up next, Cullen commissioned testimony about BC's biggest gambler. He was the number one, pretty well the big, the top dog in the province at that point in time. What happened when the casino tried to crack down on the gambler's massive cash transactions? And the push for mass COVID testing at long-term care homes. What it is and how it could allow more visitors. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Traffic is moving well in both directions, but do keep in mind overnight maintenance has you down to single lane traffic both ways between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. Testimony today at the Cullen Commission on Money Laundering focused on the man known throughout B.C.'s casinos as the highest high roller of them all. He wagered huge sums of money. And John Waugh shows us today's testimony shedding light on how the Lottery Corporation and casino staff dealt with the whale and his cash. At one time, Jagao was the biggest gambler in B.C. casinos. He was the number one, pretty well, the, big, the top dog in the province at that point in time. But Daryl Tottenham, the B.C. Lottery Corporation's anti-money laundering program manager, told the Colorado the VIP's association with suspected loan sharks was a problem. There was a lot of, I'm going to call it, background 
meetings and discussions on how we're going to deal with it with the uh, service provider. Part of the concern, placing GAO on source cash conditions could have an effect on revenue. It got a lot of attention. It got a lot of head snapped on this one because they are looking at the biggest player in the province who potentially may not be able to play in BC anymore. BCLC's protocol was to let casino management first take a soft approach and try to bring Gal back in line when it came to using cash facilitators and passing chips. We wanted the service project to be able to deal with it in the first instance and effectively manage it. Gal first tried to go to the competition but ended back at the River Rock where the suspicious cash transactions continued. If they weren't able to do it, then we stepped up and we took over and and effectively put them on source cash conditions. That was a huge, huge play at that point in time. But a BCLC investigator would later raise concerns that Gal was suspected of bringing in unsourced chips to the River Rock just to cash them out, only to return with a bank draft for the same amount. It looked like a way to get sourced funds, a workaround to his conditions. They should not have been cashed out, absolutely. The biggest player in BC would eventually be banned, but only after Gal had stopped showing up at the casinos. Investigators were told at the time this high roller might have run out of cash. John Hua, Global News. There is growing demand for more aggressive testing strategies at BC's long-term care facilities. Safe Care BC says early intervention with mass testing could be a vital tool in protecting vulnerable seniors. Ted Trenecki reports. Almost 70% of COVID-related deaths in BC involve long-term care homes. That's why Safe Care BC, the association that represents care workers, wants mass testing of all staff and all residents at care homes the minute an outbreak is suspected. And it wants faster results. For one, we'd like to see the adoption of a more aggressive testing strategy when an outbreak is declared so that we can keep the size of these outbreaks small. Loneliness can be a killer. Brenda Howard and her sister took their 95-year-old mother out of long-term care for six weeks and saw an immediate improvement. In those five or six weeks that we cared for her at home, we saw a huge uprising in her cognitive ability. She walked again. She didn't even use her wheelchair by the end. At one point, the care home went into a total lockdown, leaving her mother completely isolated in her room for 28 days. To be alone in a room with no interaction, they would put their meals in the room, that's it. No bath for all that time is inexcusable. Other families point out that they're not likely to be careless if allowed to visit. You know, did I lose sleep over myself bringing it in or my mom getting it? No. I lost sleep over her dementia declining and her dying alone without her daughter. This is what I lost sleep over. Other provinces have mass-tested staff and residents. Families say they're more than willing to do whatever it takes. They don't have anything to live for if they cannot see their families. So we are saying, please allow us in to see our loved ones. We will wear PPE. We will test. I'll do whatever you require of me to be able to spend these last days with my mom. The BC Care Providers Association is also calling for better testing for some of BC's most vulnerable who may not have a lot of time left. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Up ahead, an iconic theatre gets a dramatic makeover. Yeah, it's going to go crazy. The ambitious rebirth of the Hollywood and why customers might feel like movie stars when it opens. Plus, a dream comes true for BC golfer Nick Taylor, how he plans to master the distractions of playing at Augusta National. Take a moment to reflect. 
BC Remembers from Vancouver's Victory Square Cenotaph, Wednesday, November 11th from 10.30 a.m. In partnership with the Royal Canadian Legion, wear a poppy to remember. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A power outage left thousands of Vancouverites in the dark this morning. The 911 calls that prompted Ecom to issue an important reminder right after Christie's forecast. You know who's in the dark? Christie is out there now that we've put the clocks back. Mm -hmm. I know you got the lights on, but still, it's not the same as seeing some of those beautiful sunsets behind you, Christie. That's right. I'll no longer be able to show you the sunsets behind you or behind me, I should say. But uh, yeah, well, you can have a look at the nice colors and the leaves starting to change and the leaves dropping, I suppose. It is that time of year, everyone. And today was a soggy one, that's for sure. But believe it or not, it was mild. I don't know if you noticed it. This jacket may be overkill. We broke some records today. Squamish, not too many, but Squamish hit 14.9, uh, breaking record from nine, uh, 2018. Agassiz, uh, 16. Point three, but uh, I want to point out a couple of the other numbers uh, on Vancouver Island and Nanaimo hit 18 degrees and those of you in Merritt hit 18 degrees also today. So incredibly mild across the south. But I want you to point, note that northern BC is a whole different ballgame. Really cold in through those regions and it's very rare for us to get this broad range from north to south. Well, that cold air in through the north is going to shift into our region as we head into the next few days. Now this is what our day started out with. Not too much rain, but uh, certainly cloudy. And then the rain came in and we've had it heavy at times here on the North Shore and you can see a few lightning strikes. So if you hear thunder through the overnight period, don't be surprised. And of course, head indoors if you uh, to keep yourself safe if you do hear thunder. Um, weather warnings. So wind warnings for the north and central coast. Well, we're talking about gusts in the 90 to 100 kilometer an hour range overnight and snowfall still expected for northeastern BC. Generally speaking, conditions are going to ease off. We do have a few showers in the forecast for tomorrow morning but check it out for tomorrow afternoon yes you should need your sunglasses not your rain jacket by the latter part of the day but it's going to get cold as we head into the weekend so all of the moisture you see here is mainly through the morning hours although a few areas could see showers in through the afternoon uh, nice breaks of blue sky through the okanagan valley and for the south coast the sunshine is expected in the afternoon friday saturday and sunday though all looking really nice all you have to do is just bundle up a little bit and i'll leave you with today's central windows weather window from brad atchison this is the lynn creek today running high so i really urge you to be careful if you're down by any rivers or streams in the next little while because with all the rain that's certainly bound to come down and uh, can be a bit dangerous of course with paths as well mm -hmm, for sure all right thanks christy thanks christy the people who handle Metro Vancouver's 911 calls say a power outage in Vancouver this morning illustrates once again how many people don't understand what a true emergency is. A transmission failure at a BC Hydro substation near Arbutus and King Edward knocked out power to about 62,000 customers on the west side of Vancouver. The outage affected the Kitsilano, Arbutus, Shaughnessy, Carisdale, Dunbar and Mount Pleasant neighborhoods. Hydro crews responded and got the power back on pretty quickly, but not before Ecom was flooded with calls. Ecom tweeted out during this morning's power outage, quote, we saw a surge of 911 calls from City of Vancouver residents looking for updates on power outages and even asking how four-way stops work at intersections where traffic lights are down. Help us help keep 911 lines free for emergencies only. 
obviously these are calls that don't belong on 911. And what's really disappointing to hear is that our staff reported callers becoming quite angry with them um, when they were told that they needed to contact BC Hydro for this information. Just to be clear, power outages, not emergencies don't, in most cases. Don't call 911. Right. Don't call 911. Okay. So people call 911 And if the lights they- go out, you just, you just do a four-way stop if your light is out at the traffic stop. Right of way. The guy on the right four-way. has the right of way. That's what I was going to say. If you have to phone 911, maybe you shouldn't be driving. <laughs> That's true. You don't know that. Hey, uh, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor will be in his first Masters, and he says the uneven fairways at Augusta are similar to his home course Ledview in Abbotsford. So maybe Augusta will seem a bit familiar. (laughs) Ledgy on steroids, that's all. (laughs) He'll talk about what it'll be like playing the biggest tournament of his life. But remember, this guy has won on some other famous courses like Pebble Beach. Look forward to that. Also coming up after years of neglect, unveiling the brand new Hollywood theater. Soon worth a visit for a lot more than just movies. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A power outage left thousands of Vancouverites in the dark this morning. The 911 calls that prompted Ecom to issue an important reminder right after Christie's forecast. You know who's in the dark? Christie is out there now that we've put the clocks back. Mm-hmm. I know you got the lights on, but still, it's not the same as seeing some of those beautiful sunsets behind you, Christie. That's right. I'll no longer be able to show you the sunsets behind you or behind me, I should say. But uh, yeah, well, you can have a look at the nice colors and the leaves starting to change and the leaves dropping, I suppose. It is that time of year, everyone. And today was a soggy one, that's for sure. But believe it or not, it was mild. I don't know if you noticed it. This jacket may be overkill. We broke some records today. Squamish, not too many, but Squamish hit 14.9, uh, breaking record from nine, uh, 2018. Agassiz, uh, 16. Point three, but uh, I want to point out a couple of the other numbers uh, on Vancouver Island. And Nanaimo hit 18 degrees, and those of you in Merritt hit 18 degrees also today. So incredibly mild across the south. But wh- I want you to put note that northern BC is a whole different ball game. Really cold in through those regions, and it's very rare for us to get this broad range from north to south. Well, that cold air in through the north is going to shift into our region as we head into the next few days. Now, this is what our day started out with: not too much rain, but uh, certainly cloudy. And then the rain came in and we've had it heavy at times here on the North Shore and you can see a few lightning strikes. So if you hear thunder through the overnight period, don't be surprised. And of course, head indoors if you uh, to keep yourself safe if you do hear thunder. Um, weather warnings. So wind warnings for the north and central coast. Well, we're talking about gusts in the 90 to 100 kilometer an hour range overnight and snowfall still expected for northeastern BC. Generally speaking, conditions are going to ease off. We do have a few showers in the forecast for tomorrow morning but check it out for tomorrow afternoon yes you should need your sunglasses not your rain jacket by the latter part of the day but it's going to get cold as we head into the weekend so all of the moisture you see here is mainly through the morning hours although a few areas could see showers in through the afternoon Uh, nice breaks of blue sky through the okanagan valley and for the south coast the sunshine is expected in the afternoon friday saturday and sunday though all looking really nice all you have to do is just bundle up a little bit and i'll leave you with today's central windows weather window from brad atchison this is the lynn creek today running high 
so I really urge you to be careful if you're down by any rivers or streams in the next little while because with all the rain that's certainly bound to come down and uh, can be a bit dangerous of course with paths as well mm -hmm, for sure all right thanks Christy thanks Christy the people who handle Metro Vancouver's 911 calls say a power outage in Vancouver this morning illustrates once again how many people don't understand what a true emergency is. A transmission failure at a BC Hydro substation near Arbutus and King Edward knocked out power to about 62,000 customers on the west side of Vancouver. The outage affected the Kitsilano, Arbutus, Shaughnessy, Carisdale, Dunbar and Mount Pleasant neighborhoods. Hydro crews responded and got the power back on pretty quickly, but not before Ecom was flooded with calls. Ecom tweeted out during this morning's power outage, quote, we saw a surge of 911 calls from City of Vancouver residents looking for updates on power outages and even asking how four-way stops work at intersections where traffic lights are down. Help us help keep 911 lines free for emergencies only. Obviously, these are calls that don't belong on 911. And what's really disappointing to hear is that our staff reported callers becoming quite angry with them um, when they were told that they needed to contact BC Hydro for this information. Just to be clear, power outages, not emergencies don't, in most cases. Don't call 911. Right. Don't call 911. Okay. So people call 911 because they... And if the lights they... go out, you just... You just do a four-way stop if your light is out at the traffic stop. Right of way. The guy on the right has the right of way. That's what I was going to say. If you have to phone 911, maybe you shouldn't be driving. <laughs> That's true. You don't know that. Hey, uh, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor will be in his first Masters, and he says the uneven fairways at Augusta are similar to his home course Ledview in Abbotsford. So maybe Augusta will seem a bit familiar. <laughs> yeah. Legion on steroids, that's all. <laughs> He'll talk about what it'll be like playing the biggest tournament of his life, but remember, this guy has won on some other famous courses like Pebble Beach. Look forward to that. Also coming up after years of neglect, unveiling the brand new Hollywood theater. Soon, worth a visit for a lot more than just movies. What's happening with the Whitecaps? These days, Square, I've kind of tuned out of soccer. I feel weird about it. <laughs> well, let me tune you back in. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll update you. The Whitecaps actually might be the biggest LAFC fans ever tonight. They need LAFC to beat San Jose to keep Vancouver's playoff hopes alive. Because all San Jose needs in this one is a draw, and they make the playoffs at the Whitecaps' expense. If LAFC wins, and on Sunday... The Whitecaps would make the playoffs if they beat the L.A. Galaxy and San Jose lost its last game to Seattle. Well, the Masters Golf Tournament is going to be very different this year. Of course, it starts next Thursday, which means it's in November. It'll also be different for Nick Taylor of Abbotsford. For the first time in his life, he won't be watching the tournament on TV like the rest of us. He gets to play in it. He'll have to get used to it fast. For a lot of first-timers at Augusta, the very fact they're playing there overwhelms them mentally. you got to treat it, if you can, just like another golf tournament. I've never been there, never played there. Um, I was always hoping my first time being there would be when I play, so uh, that, that's, that's the exciting part. It's the tournament I think I've always wanted to play. When we were wanting it in 2003, that's right when I was starting to play golf. It's, it's just a tournament with the aura of it and the tradition. It's one that 
you just dream of playing if you're playing golf when you're growing up. Fantastic performance by Nick Taylor. Nick Taylor's had the thrill of winning on the PGA Tour twice. His latest victory coming at famed Pebble Beach back in February. But his first Masters experience will truly be unlike any other. Instead of happening in the spring, for the first time in the history of golf's most prestigious tournament, Taylor and the world's top golfers are teeing it up in November. Well, you know, I think this year being different with no fans, it's going to be easier to, to do your homework uh, and just be in full preparation mode. The crowd interaction uh, is a really exciting part about golf, and that can be a distraction as well. So that not being there, I think I can full prep, prepare for it. And then the part three contest being canceled, which is unfortunate, but also that gives me another full day of, of preparation as well. So I think a few things that... Um, it's kind of a con this year that we won't be able to, to, to experience. It'll really probably help me more for the actual golf The volume might be turned down on this year's Masters, but that's about it. Taylor arrives in Augusta on the weekend following two solid weeks of practice at his home in Arizona. Come Sunday, his fact-finding mission officially begins as he'll play his first-ever practice round at Augusta National. The one thing I've, I've heard a lot is is everything breaks towards Race Creek. That's something you kind of need to, to put in your yardage book and know where it is at all times, especially on the greens. Uh, and then the, the undulation, the elevation changes on the golf course is something you just can't really see on TV. And So those are things I'll obviously be looking out for when I get there. I'll have four days full of, of preparation. Augusta National has crushed the spirit and green jacket aspirations of countless golfers, often leaving the game's greats perplexed. On Tuesday, Taylor's playing 18 holes alongside Masters champion Mike Weir and fellow Canadians Adam Hadwin and Corey Connors, who've all experienced what the Masters offers up. I'm going to try to experience it, it all as I can, but also really making golf the, the focal point of, of trying to play as well as I can. Nobody can deny that Antonio Brown is a great receiver. Few in the NFL in recent years have been as good as catching a football as he has. But off the field, he dropped the ball and is finally back in the NFL after serving suspensions for his behavior. Now he's a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. One of the reasons he is in Tampa is because he's a friend of Tom Brady's. Brady votes for Antonio Brown and Brown says he won't let Brady down or the Bucks. For me, you know, first and foremost, uh, being away from the game a year and a half, uh, just to see, uh, be able to be a part of the process and be out there with the guys today was uh, surreal. Uh, some I don't take for granted. You know, some I have a great appreciation for, uh, a better perspective about, and uh, a lot of grat- a lot of uh, gratification uh, to do what I love, man. You know, it's a blessing. Champions League action from Istanbul. Istanbul, Basak Shahir against Man United. This was supposed to be a win for Man United, but wait. Istanbul. Demba Ball, one nothing for the home side. And then another one. And watch Demba Ball here with a dummy. Is it for me? Nope. Fooled you. It's Eden Vishka. 2-1 the final. Upset for Istanbul over Manchester United. There you go. Wow. Thanks, Squire.
All right, let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We're keeping an eye on the U.S. election results tonight, and we'll have a full update on any developments. Plus, police were called to the Tawasin Ferry Terminal three times in the past 24 hours. In two cases, it involved people refusing to wear a mask. And the Prime Minister has just finished up a virtual town hall meeting with students at Metro Vancouver's Kwantlen Polytechnic University. We'll let you know what he had to say. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right, thanks, Jay. All right, when we come back, the show will go on at the Hollywood Theatre. Wait till you see it. That's next. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC, Energy at Work. All right, Squire's here to wrap things up for the show. I guess it's fitting that the Hollywood Theatre was used last as a church because it's been raised from the dead, at least as an entertainment <laughs> venue. Well, it started, that's pretty good actually. It was started in 1935, um, but it hasn't been used as a theater since 2011. And it took a lot of people doing a lot of work and a lot of money had to be spent too to get this back online. But man, did they do a nice job. After all the struggles to save the Hollywood theater on Broadway from the fate of former theaters in Vancouver like The Ridge, the curtain is ready to rise again. The new refurbished Hollywood will be a lot more versatile than it was before. It'll still show movies. The old projector still works. But it's going to be more than just that. Uh, we're going to do comedy, uh, corporate events, community events, TED Talk kind of things, uh, concerts, like lots of concerts from many genres. And while the theater's purpose is new, it was rebuilt to look like its old self. The wood seats with the wooden back, sorry, are the originals. And we had to redo the metal work on them, the armrest handles, buffing them out many hours. The lights up on the ceiling are the same as well. Um, the red, uh, this is new drape, but it's the original sort of drape that you saw. The old clock has been recreated. It still needs hands, but they kept the graffiti carved in the balcony. I wonder if Bailey and Benny are still together. And it's just a really romantic sort of, it's sort of a memory piece of the whole vibe of here that people walked through here before. Among the things that are completely new are the bars. Yeah, so there's a big service bar on the left side. We're calling this one uh, May West, and we're calling that one Clint Eastwood. The Hollywood will open with a limited capacity later this month, after many years of slogging through red tape to save it. The slog is all, was a huge one, but it's worth it because this is a triumph. This is a triumph for the city. It, it is. It's amazing. I mean, look at it. It's beautiful. Well done. I say we convene mm -hmm. there for a post-COVID cocktail <laughs> as soon as we can. Or we put the news hour on the big screen. Oh, yeah. that'd be good. <laughs> we could do the show down there. Yeah. We've got a yeah. very nice stage. It's built for at the, that sort of thing. At the bar, the May West <laughs> bar. That's where I'll be. Very cool. All right, last word on uh, the rain, maybe, while we uh, can. Christy? It's starting to ease off. We still have showers in the forecast overnight and through the morning hours tomorrow, but you'll need your sunglasses likely by the afternoon and through the weekend, everyone. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Christy. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for watching.